You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. I'd be listening to the mainstream media and just be left frustrated on how they covered these stories. They would completely ignore facts just to promote their own agenda. I said, man, I could do a better job than these fools. I should start my own show. So I did. Hey, everybody, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of Freedom Strips. I am your host, Keaton Tucker. Thank you for joining me yet again. Um, after kind of surveying these stories that I've heard throughout the past week, I mean, U.S. foreign policy has certainly dominated the uh, the news and headlines on online social media. So that's what I wanted to cover. On this episode, we will cover the Trump uh, tariffs and we will cover the U.S. pressure on Iran and what exactly um, that means and how terrible of an idea that is. So let's jump on into the Trump's uh, the Trump tariffs. So Trump recently announced that he's going to hit all imports from China with a 25% tariff, which is um, higher than he had previously. He only had certain items tariffed like steel and other things. Well, now all of your Chinese goods are getting that much more expensive. And as everyone knows, everything's made in China. Um, There was a great uh, article on this uh, on the Cato Institute that I wanted to read. It kind of overviews why um, tariffs are kind of a dumb way to um, attack other countries because it hurts the people within your own country. Um, so I wanted to read this article here. It's 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 on the Cato Cato.org. It, it's labeled why Trump's tariffs on China hurt everyday Americans. So let's go ahead and dive on in here. So it says, with negotiations to remove sweeping U.S. tariffs and the end the year-long trade war seemingly in the home stretch, President Donald Trump abruptly reversed course on Sunday and announced his intention to increase those tariffs and extend their application to all imports from China by the end of the week. The president believes that depriving Chinese exporters of access to the U.S. market will compel Beijing to accept the U.S. demands. Although raising tariffs certainly will tighten the vice, the squeeze will be felt mostly acutely, most acutely by Americans, because tariffs are nothing more than taxes on the U.S. consumers, producers, and investors. Contrary to Trump's simplistic portrayal of trade, the United States doesn't purchase goods from China. Trade is not conducted between countries. Rather, trade is the culmination of billions of daily transactions between individuals around the world seeking to obtain the most value from that exchange. The biggest bang for their buck. By raising costs, tariffs ensure that consumers get less bang for their buck. Rather than get on an airplane to China to purchase goods from a local vendor, we avoid those transaction costs by letting our retailers do the heavy lifting. U.S. companies such as Walmart, Home Depot, 
and Amazon purchase goods from Chinese manufacturers. Those purchases are not are made not because the retailers have any interest in consuming those goods, but because U.S. individuals and U.S. companies requiring the intermediate goods and machines to produce their own output demand these goods. By virtue of the volume of their transactions, wholesalers and retailers have the market power and the logistics infrastructure in place to negotiate prices and purchase these products on our behalf. When tariffs, or duties, are imposed at the U.S. border, those costs get factored into the prices paid for each transaction in the supply chain, and ultimately by box stores consumers like you and me. China is not paying those tariffs, and trade wars are neither good nor easy to win. In 2017, before the onset of the trade war, U.S. importers purchased $504 billion of goods from China and paid tariffs of $13.5 billion to U.S. Customs and Border Protection, about 2.7%. Last July, tariffs of 25% were imposed on approximately $50 billion worth of imports from China. And in September, tariffs of 10% were imposed on an additional $200 billion of Chinese goods. Year-end figures show that the U.S. in 2018, U.S. importers purchased $543 billion worth of goods from China and paid duties of $23 billion. That's around 4.2%. That nearly $10 billion increase in tariffs paid came out of the wallets of American consumers. If the president follows through with his plan to hit all imports from China with 25% tariffs, Americans should expect to have to absorb a consumption tax bill in the neighborhood of around $100 billion, 10 times greater than they had to swallow this year if their consumption patterns were similar. Trump likes to remind audiences that he signed into law a tax bill last year that significantly reduced taxes, which he argues gives American households more spending power. Well, his trade war is almost certain to wipe out the benefits of his muchly ballyhooed tax reform. So there you go. Tariffs are silly. They hurt us. They're not hurting China. Um... Look, I, I, trade relations with China are, are beneficial to both parties, right? Um, China is a enormous producer, and it needs an enormous consumer, which is America, okay? So China needs us, okay? But we also need China, all right? Because America is the biggest consumer in the world, and the only person that can feed the biggest consumer in the world is China. Now, look, all of this is about trade deficits. Trump is obsessed with these trade deficits. And the the fact of the matter is there is no link between trade deficits and economic growth. It's just not the fact. You can operate in a trade deficit and have economic growth. The two are not linked. However, Trump and his economic policy has those two links. I I don't know why he's... He's operating in this idea that, I mean, look, could we have better deals with China? I, yeah, sure, I guess. But is this the way to go about negotiating it? Man, I don't think so. 
I mean, you see, you see Trump going in and, and practically punishing American consumers by making them pay more for goods and in, in a way to try and get a better deal with China. I mean, you're hurting your own people while you're trying to own China. I, I don't get it. It's silly. There's better ways to go about negotiating this rather than targeting your own people with more taxes, wiping out all the good you did with your tax cuts. Uh, Ron Paul recently went on Fox Business to talk about the uh, the Trump tariff um, debacle, and uh, man, I love Dr. Paul. This guy is the greatest. We would be in such a better um such a better position as a country if he were to win in 2012 or 20 uh, 2008 man either one of those we'd have been in a much better position but let's take a listen to uh what dr paul had to say about the uh the trump tariffs perspective mr doctor i should say ron paul of the ron paul liberty report uh dr paul great to see you what do you think of these tariffs Oh, David, I know you know what I think. A tariff is a tax, and I don't like taxes. It's a bunch of economic (laughs) planning, and I don't like economic planning. And I don't know why nobody seems to ask, where does the president get all this power that he can put on a tariff and and do all this mischief? So it's all this economic planning and too much power in the hands of a president. But then again, if you defer and take it away from it, it goes to the World Trade Organization. Right. We don't want that. We don't want the bureaucrats overseas. (laughs) Bureaucrats here are bad enough. Actually, the Constitution does give the power of tariffs to Congress, but that was amended over the years, uh, decades ago. So they'd have to go back and change some of the rules. Let me just ask you, though, about jobs, because the president is, is very clear in his own words. He says it's about jobs. And uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin was trying to make the same case to a skeptical Maria Bartiromo on FBN earlier today. Let's just play the tape. Do you worry that while you're trying to protect the hundreds of thousands of jobs in the steel industry, you're threatening millions of jobs in other industries? The president is very focused on jobs. As you know, it's his number one priority. The president is not going to do anything that creates job loss in these other areas. Uh, Again, we have a a thought-out process. Dr. Paul, you have 140,000 jobs in the steel industry that's being protected by these tariffs, and you have about 6.5 million jobs in companies, manufacturing jobs, uh, that use steel that might be hurt. Do you think in, in the net, in the end, jobs will be helped or hurt by the tariffs? Well, I, I think they'll be hurt, and those numbers never pan out. And besides, if you take them from one, you might lose them to somebody else. That, you know, so I think there is. So that's a that's a whole thing right here. What they're talking about is Trump is the whole idea that he's doing this behind is is to protect the steel industry um, and the steel manufacturers. So he's wanting to protect the steel manufacturers. Where look, if those if those steel manufacturers are going down and nobody it's not a good export for the United States to focus on. Let them go. Let them go. Right now you're protecting the steel manufacturers and hurting the millions of people who need to buy steel for their own products. I mean, the economy, man, I mean, you are hurting everybody putting these tariffs on this, protecting these manufacturers. Look, I, I say, 
if that is not a good export for the country, just let them go. We can focus on other industries that the United States exports for greater amounts of money. I mean, don't punish the American people and the American um, economy with these small businesses and other businesses that need to buy um, steel for for cheaper prices and to have the, the steel manufactured overseas. Don't punish them for getting the, the cheaper price. Have the United States focus on other industries. Always at cost. And uh, most economists have over the years indicated that tariffs aren't good for the economy and it doesn't really create jobs. It may create or preserve a job uh, in a certain industry that's having trouble. But if there's trouble in an industry, I remember when we worried about this back in the 70s, our automobiles weren't as good as the Japanese. We had to protect them. Well, you don't want to protect something that's not efficient or if we have too many regulations or if it's due to the monetary policy. So you don't want to protect that and then you protect the mistake. Stakes. And that's why bailouts are bound. It's a form of a bailout. And a lot of people talked about that during the uh, recession. Why bail out the people who have been making all the mistakes? But essentially, that well, that's what we did. All right. Let, let me go to the source. The president himself tweeted out earlier from Bush one to present. Our country has lost more than 55,000 factories, 6 million manufacturing jobs and accumulated trade deficits of more than 12 trillion dollars. Last year we had a trade deficit of almost 800 billion bad policies and leadership. We must win again. Uh, we should remind folks that one of the worst trade deficit years we've had in decades was back in 1984. Uh, at that in that year when we had such a bad trade deficit, the economy actually grew 7.3%. So it's not clear that there's a direct relationship between trade deficits and growth. Yeah, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about trade deficits because what you look at to find out what happened, there's always a balance of trade. Now, when we have a monetary system like what we have now and we get to print the money, you're going to have a trade deficit by its very nature because we have the cash and we buy stuff and we get a good price on it. But it's it's not static. It isn't like we lost on that. The Chinese and others do us big favor. They buy up our debt. So we literally export some of our penalties and export <laughs> the inflation and, uh, and, and and it's not quite like the uh, trade deficit i think what you have to look at is the total picture of the of the balance of trade and right. where it's going and what happens when you have a central bank manipulating interest rates and currency which encourages debt so if you patch up some of these things it doesn't deal with the big problem and that is debt you and know what i would love to have up, dr paul mm-hmm. i'd love to have another five minutes to talk to you but i'd love to have you <laughs> and wilbur ross in a debate that would be a thing of beauty i would love some so there you have it, Dr. Paul, on his thoughts on tariffs. I think he nails it. Um, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see what what happens. But, man, I mean, we're already seeing the effects now uh, with the economy. I mean, the uh, what did the Dow drop the other day? Like 600 points? It was crazy. Um, so we'll see if, it, if this gamble pays off for Trump. <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, moving on to Iran. Man, the uh the US pressure on Iran has really stepped up this past week. Um Bolton and Pompeo are getting closer and closer to their war with Iran. I mean, it's uh it's bad. They're practically going unchecked. The US sent a uh, aircraft carrier into the Persian Gulf um responding to what they said was a threat from Iran, a possible attack. So they sent a uh a battle group with bombers and and fighter jets and 
and the uh, the aircraft carrier to the Persian Gulf. Uh, there was just an article that just came out the other day about um, John Bolton issuing uh, a possible plan for uh, deploying 120,000 troops to the areas around Iran um, as just kind of like a, uh, you know, puffing out his chest. Uh, the, the United States puffing out its chest as a way to intimidate Iran, um, practically just begging for Iran to make the wrong move and to start a war. Um, they just announced that they want all non-emergency personnel to leave the uh, Iraq embassy. It, it is just a mess. I don't understand how Trump put put these people in power. I don't know why he put them in the positions that they're in. They they completely contradict what he ran on in 2016 to end these in end the endless wars, to stop these endless conflicts, save money and actually focus on protecting ourselves and our borders. Completely contradictory to what he ran on in 2016. And I mean to put the guy, John Bolton, to put the slime ball that completely fabricated and orchestrated the lies and propaganda that got us into the Iraq war to put that guy in, in the position he's in now. Come on, man. Come on. Anyway. Uh, I mean, with regards to Iran, Trump should follow his campaign promise to end the wars and get those people like John Bolton and Mike Pompeo out. This whole situation reminded me uh, of an answer since we, we just played a video of Ron Paul. It, it reminded me of a uh, answer Ron Paul gave during the 2012 Republican debate regarding the Iraq war and if the U.S. should continue the conflict or if the U.S. should leave and bring its troops home. Uh, I think Trump should take some advice from Dr. Paul. So let's take a listen to this. The people who say there will be a bloodbath are the ones who said it would be a cakewalk, it would be a slam dunk, and that it would be paid for by oil. Why believe them? They've been wrong on everything they've said. So why not ask the people, why not ask the people who advise not to go in into the region and into the war? The war has not gone well one bit. Yes, I would leave, uh, I would leave completely. Why leave the troops in the region? It was the fact that we had troops in Saudi Arabia was the re one of the three reasons given for the attack on 9-11. So why leave them in the region? They don't want our troops on the Arabian Peninsula. We have no need for our national security to have troops on the Arabian Peninsula. And going into Iraq and Afghanistan and threatening Iran is the worst thing we can do for our national security. I am less safe. The American people are less safe for this. It's the policy that is wrong. Tactical movements and shifting troops around and taking in 30 more and reducing by five, totally irrelevant. We need a new foreign policy that said we ought to mind our own business, bring our troops home, defend this country, defend our borders. So, so, so if. Big applause there. And man, how is that dude not president? How did that dude not get president? <laughs> But listen to what Chris Wallace says. He tries to get, he tries to nail Ron Paul right here. Listen to what this crazy guy says. So, Congressman Paul, and I'd like you to take 30 seconds to answer this. 
You're basically saying that we should take our marching orders from Al-Qaeda. If they want us off the Arabian Peninsula, we should leave. No. What a chump. You're basically saying that we should take our marching orders from Al-Qaeda? Obviously, no. But listen to this clapback Ron Paul has. I'm saying, I'm saying we should take our marching orders from our Constitution. We should not go to Boom. war. We should not go to war without a declaration. We should not go to war when it's an aggressive war. This is an aggressive invasion. We've committed the invasion of this war, and it's illegal under international law. That's where I take my marching orders, not from any enemy. And then Giuliani is just cackling in the background. Man. Man, oh man. I want to read a little bit from this uh, article on Mother Jones. Um, titled, uh, Trump is getting dangerously close with war in Iran. So the, the article goes, the United States is hurling towards a conflict with Iran, and it's not clear that President Donald Trump has an exit strategy. In the year since he dumped the Obama administration's prized nuclear agreement, Trump has pursued a policy of maximum pressure towards Iran with a series of increasingly bellicose moves. Last month, he designated the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps as an elite military group with vast economic influence in the region, a foreign terrorist organization. Weeks later, he banned the purchase of Iranian oil in a blow to eight countries, including allies like Japan and South Korea, that has previously relied on U.S. waivers to accept it. Those actions were just a uh, prelude to this week, during which Trump sanctioned another key Iranian export, industrial metals, and deployed an aircraft carrier to the Middle East two weeks earlier than planned in response to intelligence that Iran was targeting U.S. troops in Syria and Iraq. The United States is not seeking war with the Iranian regime, National Security Advisor John Bolton said in a statement announcing the move. How how can this dude even say that? That's been his plan since since he was with Bush. But we are fully prepared to respond to any attack, whether by proxy, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, or the Iranian forces. The statement hinted at a number of troubling and escalatory uh, indications and warnings from Tehran, but the nature of this intelligence remains unclear. The Daily Beast reported Tuesday that the administration blew it out of proportion, characterizing the threat as more significant than it actually was. Israel purportedly was the source of the intelligence. It is still unclear to us what the Iranians are trying to do and how they are planning to do it, an Israeli official told the outlet. More concerning is the role played by... uh, role played in all of this by Bolton, who earned a reputation in the George W. Bush administration for exaggerating global threats and cherry-picking intelligence. An example, the Iraq War. Dude, lied us, just lied us into the Iraq War. Interagency meetings, which used to be a regular feature of the National Security, uh, National Security Council, have all but disappeared during his tenure. 
the lack of a permanent secretary of defense and the presence of an acting one with zero foreign uh, foreign policy experience have increased the influence of Bolton and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, both of whom have expressed strong anti-Iran sentiments. Bolton once argued for a preemptive military strike to wipe out Iran's nuclear program and received $40,000 in 2016 to speak before the Mujahideen, a radical anti-regime organization formally designated as a terrorist group by the United States. The regime in Tehran needs to be overthrown at the earliest opportunity, he told attendees at one Mujahideen event, according to The New Yorker. Pompeo considers Iran, quote, the largest state sponsor of terrorism and has made the questionable claim that the regime, which espouses a brutal form of Shiite Islam, has ties to Al-Qaeda, the Sunni terrorist group that despises Iran. Pompeo and Bolton see Iran's fingerprints everywhere. That's why the red line laid out in Bolton's statements is so frightening to national security experts familiar with these men's views. The fact that they t- that those actions take place, if they do, by some third-party proxy, whether that's a Shia, Mizli- uh, Shia mil- militia group or the Houthis or Hezbollah, we will hold the Iranians and Iranian leadership directly accountable for that, Pompeo told reporters while traveling to Finland this week. The groups he identified often come into conflict with Saudi Arabia, Israel, and Israel, the United States' two strongest allies in the region. Whether they their encounters qualify as a proxy attack on American interest is for presumably Trump and his advisors to decide. So, there you have it. That's what's going on there. And uh, along with the, uh, the 120,000 troops, uh, President Donald Trump said on Tuesday, uh, it, there's been some confusion between and this is the thing like Bolton is kind of acting on his own this is why i said he's kind of been unchecked right because john bolton is saying one thing and then president trump trump goes and refutes it and then agrees and it's all very confusing so president trump uh said on tuesday he denied a report that his administration was considering sending up to 120,000 troops to the middle east to respond to iran but added if the united states were to go with such a plan Quote, we'd send a hell of a lot more. Trump told reporters outside the White House that a New York <clears throat> that a New York Times story Monday night claiming his administration was reviewing military plans against Iran was fake news. But moments later, the president said that he would consider such a plan. Quote, would I do that? Absolutely. But we have not planned for that, Trump said. And if we did that, we'd send up a hell of a we send a hell of a lot more troops than that. U.S. officials told NBC News that the plan to send 120,000 troops to the region was one of a range of options that Defense Secretary Patrick Shanahan presented to Trump's national security team during a recent meeting about Iran. The option having as many, <clears throat> the option involving having as many. 120,000 troops represented a worst-case scenario contingency in the event that the U.S. and Iran were to go to war. So, under this scenario, 120,000 troops would be the total sum of the troops deployed in the region, plus additional forces would have to be deployed, deployed mainly in the form of air force and naval power. 
Uh, so uh, I'm telling you, it's just a mess. The Ron Paul Liberty Report. I know I'm kind of on a, uh, a Ron Paul kick. I was on a Ron Paul kick this this week. Can you blame me? The guy's awesome. Uh, but the Ron Paul uh, Institute had a uh, couple good segments on this. So let's take a listen. President Bolt, I mean, uh, National Security Advisor John Bolton, ordered the Pentagon, according to reports, to come up with a new plan for President Trump to attack Iran. Um, very helpful of him just doing his job. Uh, the uh, <laughs> options include, on the far end, stationing some 120,000 U.S. troops in the Middle East. And that doesn't suggest, according to reports, a ground attack, which they say would require a lot more, but just sending another 120,000 over there to send a message. What's, what's Bolton up to here on this, Phil? What do you think? Well, you know, uh, in a sense, these people are, as you correctly point out, this is far too few in numbers to actually consider fighting Iran on the ground. I mean, it would take probably something like three or four times that number. Um, so this is, uh, again, it's a provocation, first of all. And secondly, uh, these these uh, soldiers uh, who are going to be sent to the region, I'm not sure where they would physically be sent to in the region, Kuwait, I guess, Qatar. Um, uh, these people would, in a sense, be um, uh, hostages. They'd be sitting ducks if, uh, if some kind of fighting does wait, break out. And possibly it's uh, uh, Bolton's intention to have enough targets in the area where something will happen. And, of course, yeah. this is... Uh, kind of thing that all of us should be quite afraid of, because this would be uh, blundering into a war that no one but, but Bolton and Pompeo and their friends in MEC and APAC really want. That's absolutely right. I mean, this is like the same strategy that they had when, when Trump wanted to pull troops out of Syria. They talked him into like keeping 200 troops in Syria or something. It's like, what are 200 troops in Syria going to do other than provoke an attack on those 200 troops? Just it's practically begging something to go wrong. And then it's just another excuse to de redeploy in the area. It, it, it's a mess. People are getting wiser and wiser to these, um, these fishy tactics and these lies though, due to the internet, just people have more access to, uh, to information than they ever have before. So these dirty tricks are, um, are, are becoming harder and harder to pull off for people like Bolton and Pompeo and, and the, the, uh, the federal government kind of bolstering their chest out for just what, for what gain, for what gain. And, and uh, this is an, uh, a segment that Tucker, Carl Tucker Carlson had where he was, he kind of outlines like, what is the gain with the uh, going to war with Iran? What's the gain for the United States here? Um, so let's take a listen to this. Okay, so obviously this is fluid, but the larger question remains unanswered. How is a war with Iran in America's interest in any way? It's time to start asking and answering that question. Douglas McGregor is a retired Army colonel, author of the tremendous book, Margin of Victory, and a frequent guest on the show. He joins us tonight. Colonel, thanks very much for coming on. Sure. Um, so what does it mean to have a, a, a carrier group in the Persian Gulf? Well, Tucker, we've got a manufactured crisis. 
There's nothing new in this intelligence. We've been operating in this area for several years now. The Iranians and we were both interested in destroying the same target, ISIS. Yes. And we always knew there was friction and hostility there. We've managed to avoid any problems. The Iranians have avoided any problems. So it's hard to buy the notion that we now have to have a carrier battle group in the Persian Gulf, along with hundreds of aircraft flying in from all over the world in order to deter Iran from attacking us. There's no evidence that Iran wants to attack us. Quite the contrary. I think they'd like very much to avoid any conflict with us under any and all circumstances. So why would we, why are we doing this? And what are the potential consequences of doing this? Well, I think uh, the people that were behind this, that persuaded the president to take these actions, are hoping, frankly, that if you put large numbers of forces from the United States in close proximity to Iran in a small area like the Persian Gulf, the Gulf's only 220 miles wide, that something will happen that something will go wrong. It, it sort of looks like a Gulf of Tonkin incident with missiles in the making. Now, do we benefit? It's hard to see how. I mean, the first question you should always ask before any action is taken, uh, measure what you might gain by what you might lose. Right. What do we gain? Is this supposed to persuade the Iranians that they should not keep some additional enriched uranium? Is this designed right. to make them capitulate to the series of demands that Mr. Pompeo put in front of them? If so, I think that's ludicrous. I don't see any evidence of that happening. Is this designed to drive a wedge between Russia and China? On the opposite, I think you're going to force cohesion on all of the great continental powers against us. They're going to look at any action we might take against Iran as a precursor to future action we may take against them. So I don't see the president gaining from this, but I see that he loses. I don't see how he gets reelected. I don't see how he achieves anything in the Gulf that's positive whatsoever for the United States and the American people. But there in our foreign policy establishment is a fairly large group, relatively speaking, large group of people who are intent on war with Iran. Yeah, well, unfortunately, in the case of General McKenzie, who spoke not long ago in front of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, he described himself as a man with a bias for action. I'd much rather have a four-star with a bias for thinking. And right now, he should be very concerned about the secondary effects of anything we do in the Gulf. Mm. The, the, the Russians are not idle. They are watching this very carefully. If we take action and we get into a killing spree with the Iranians, they will come in. And we will find ourselves without a back door to get out easily. The Chinese will also ship what they can there. And by the way, the Turks, who have no love for the Iranians, may view this as something positive that they should participate in. This is not a good thing for the United States. No. And, and the people agitating for it right now, MSNBC, CNN, Max Boot, Bill Crystal, the, the usual suspects, yes. um, none of whom have the country's interest at heart, I would, I would argue. I mean, it's chilling. That's absolutely right. CNN, MSNBC have turned into these warmongering uh, media outlets. It's... it's it's pretty unbelievable to see how the Democrats have shifted from, I mean, you look at back in the, like the sixties, I mean, they were the anti-war party, right? They were the anti-war party. Now look where they are. They are out doing these propaganda campaign. They are the warmongers. They're just like the neocons and the Republican party. Um, the neocons and the Democrats are all fighting on the same side. Like I've said time and time again, when you see these two sides get together and agree on something, it's usually screwing you or going to war. And that's what we see here.
And so, you know, with the U.S. kind of bolstering its its uh, its chest out and, and getting ready for any type of wrong move by Iran, um, they've the State Department's uh, announced it's ordered an all non-emergency personnel at the U.S. embassy and consulate in Iraq to leave the country amid rising tensions between the U.S. and Iran. This is from Fox News here. The announcement was made in a security alert on its website early Wednesday morning. The alert also said that normal visa services would be temporarily suspended. This comes off. This comes amid a standoff between the U.S. and Iran, which has recently threatened to pull out of the nuclear deal and resume higher uranium enrichment if no new deal is put in place. So, this is just a not a good situation here. Like, like he, like um, the the general said there, or the colonel, excuse me, like the colonel said, th- there's nothing to gain from this. And everything to lose. Let's listen to what Ron Paul has to say about all this. Yes, Ron Paul. Again. Because the guy's awesome. But right now, I think there's a lot of people in this country that are getting more wise about the lies that are told, whether they're about our elections or most people now know that uh, there were lies told about Vietnam, lies yeah. told about the Persian Gulf War, or lies mm-hmm. told about the Iraqi War. So yeah. uh, the atmosphere is such that these conditions might not play out, and hopefully we can contribute in trying to tell the truth about what's happening and uh, point out, I think the most important thing practically is there's no need for this, for our national security, this whole idea that this is important to us to defend our Constitution and our freedoms. It is so much malarkey that uh, (laughs) we want to wake up as many people as possible. This is a little bit of acceleration. There's been quite a bit already. You know, we we dropped out of the, the nuclear treaty. We put on all these sanctions. We built up our military, you know, and, and beat the war drums. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the news this morning that we're going on is this State Department issued a, 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 a notice to its people in the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. It was the most expensive embassy in the history of the world. It's, 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 more, it's a, a fortress. That, no, there are some threats here we have to abandon. We have to evacuate all non-essential personnel from the embassy and from the country, it really strikes one as, as political theater, as ramping it up. But this is sort of another uh, aspect of the trap that they have set and they're setting. And they're actually setting it for Trump, who is looking more and more hapless by the day. Because what they're doing is they're establishing the neocons I'm talking about, establishing as fact that anything that happens in the region is all Iran's fault, while tightening the noose, bringing in more troops, more ships, more bombers, closer and closer, just waiting for them to make a wrong move. Well, it's a frightening thing. It's a frightening thing. Um, man, I hope that I hope that Trump gets wise to this. And the, the solution to all of this is just, it's a start. It's not a complete solution. But man, get rid of John Bolton and get rid of Mike Pompeo. If he doesn't do that, the walls are closing in. It, it looks like it's inevitable that something is going to happen with Iran. And regardless of what happens, it's not going to be good for the United States. It's not going to be good. Uh, well, that's all I got. Uh, I know this is a little bit of a shorter episode than normal, but 
Um, my wife is cooking some delicious dinner, and I can already smell it here in my studio. So I'm going to cut it here. Um, but thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, if you have any topics that you'd like me to cover on future episodes, be sure to go to our Facebook page, like the page. Um, be sure to follow us on uh, on Spotify and iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Um, feel free to write us on our Facebook page, though, if you do have any requests or if you'd like to come on the show and talk. I'm more than happy to have uh, guests and visitors on the show to just sit down and discuss uh, ideas. You don't have to be a libertarian. You don't have to be a Republican. You can be a Democrat. Man, I mean, you could be a Democratic Socialist. Come on the show. I'd love to talk to you. We can discuss those ideas. I'd love to have a Democratic Socialist on here at some point just to discuss uh, ideas and to uh, see why you would possibly be in that line of thinking. But thank you again for listening. Uh, I'll see you on the next episode of Freedom Strips. Enjoy your week, everybody. Bye.